0: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner.
1: And I'm Chase C. Hurley, and in this episode, number 334, we're going to gather up our minions or sidekicks, and go to back to Allen as we review the Essentials Kit.
0: And joining us for this episode are a couple of Tome Show regulars. First, you know him from behind the DM screen, it's the man who makes Sly flourish Sly, it's Mike Shea. Hello! <laughs> All right, our second guest uh, is one of the news anchors from the Tom Show News News Desk. He's been a regular on the show for years, though. Welcome back, Lewis Britton.
2: Thank you so much for letting me be here with y'all. It's good to see you. Yeah,
0: and if people aren't catching in on this, we are once again streaming the recording live. If you wanted to to see what this is all about and see how the sausage is made. Um, in a live recording of the show, then we do that on twitch.tv slash Tome Show. And we usually tweet out about it right before we start uh, going on and recording. And then it shows up on YouTube later. And then of course it gets edited down and made to sound pretty by Sam, uh, our illustrious and highly talented editor who always makes us seem really intelligent and um, well-prepared. Does that sound fair? Sure. (laughs)
1: Definitely fair. Absolutely. And if you haven't caught it, in this episode, we're going to be covering the Essentials Kit, which came out as a Target exclusive back in the summer of 2019 and became widely available in September. It contains a rulebook, adventure, dice, map, character sheets, cards, and a DM screen. And it's also very attractive to young children.
3: (laughs) Do Uh. do you know this from personal experience?
1: (laughs) Yes. As soon as I opened the box that, uh, that it came in, he was like, oh... That's the D&D. Can we play the d and I want to play the d and I want to play Dungeons and Dragons.
3: Right? Awesome. And, and did you? Uh,
0: yeah, did you play? Uh,
1: not yet. They rolled up a character.
3: Nice. Well, that's a good start.
1: So
0: some of us have our copies of the Essentials Kit here with us so we can show off things for those people in the stream. Unfortunately, we haven't quite figured out how to beam those images straight into people's brains for the podcast version yet. Uh, so everybody has theirs except Tracy because hers has been taken over by uh, little ones. And Mike really <laughs> insists on showing off that Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, before we dive in further, I want to thank all of our listeners who support the show. You can do so uh, very easily. You can either go shopping at DMs Guild or Amazon, just like you normally would, but get there through the links at thetomeshow.com. And then we get a small percentage. You get the exact same experience, uh, and and some of that goes to us, and I try to spread that out to, to those who who help make the shows possible here. You can also support us directly at Patreon. At patreon.com slash show, just like uh, some of our, our returning patrons like Leonard Pelche, Jill Sanders, and Doug Palmer. So thank you to them and everyone else who supports us over at Patreon. Now, before we get going, uh, in, in an effort for full disclosure, I do want to make it known that I received my copy of the Essentials Kit for free uh, as a review copy from Wizard of the Coast. Mike, I believe that is true of you as well.
3: You would be wrong. I had oh. to go to Target like a like a plebeian and
0: buy it. Oh, you were talking about money. already owning the the digital version, so I just assumed that you had received it that way. Well, I okay. In, fair, in fairness, I
3: did get a free copy of the digital one. Okay, <laughs> but the box I had to go.
0: I. I suspect Tracy also has a free copy of the digital one from D and D Beyond. Uh, but you you paid for the actual box. Yeah. And Lewis? You have anything to disclose?
2: Yeah, I, I drove to Target on day one and bought the box like a filthy commoner.
0: Very exactly. Good. So I'm the only non like the people filthy commoner. Huh? <laughs> I'm I'm the I'm the elitist.
1: Does that mean we're all the sidekicks?
0: Corporate shell. <laughs> yes. Uh, we you're all the sidekicks, and, and I'm the corporate shell. These all of these things are accurate. I will accept them all. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we've gotten that out of the way. Some of us got free digital copies, um, but I'm the only one who got a free actual box that is here on the, our panel tonight. Uh, so first of all, the Essentials Kit came out recently, um, but it, I'm curious what, it's, what we see its purpose as. What is the, what's the point of the Essentials Kit in a world where the starter set exists? That's a
2: fascinating question that I, I pondered myself when I first heard about it coming out. Uh, I wondered if uh, they thought they wanted to make another gateway for even newer people to D&D than the people who were would have been new to it when 5e came out back in uh, 14. Uh, I, I, and I assume that's probably the fruit of just the huge boom of popularity it's had. Uh, with, with so many more people getting into d and I don't think they even imagined how big this was going to get. And so I think they're trying to ride that wave.
3: Yeah, so I, I have a, a little bit... So uh, Chris Perkins talked about this on a panel he did. I can't remember what convention. And he said that the intent of the starter... And I have a feeling that they might be changing their... Um, they, they might be ch- sort of changing the history a little bit. But that... The way they saw it the starter set was for brand new uh dms mm-hmm. and the uh, essentials kit was for experienced dms with brand new players mm. uh, I don't know if that's actually how it was intended originally or if how that it is how that's if that's just how it played out um, so yeah
0: yeah, and that's um that's how it feels to me as well. the starter the starter set i have to always make sure i got it right the starter one is a set the essentials one is a kit right yes right.
2: totally different
0: okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> completely right um so so yeah the starter set feels like it it holds the hand of the dm a little bit more um the adventure is is less it's a little more linear um and yeah. so I I feel like that's an accurate portrayal of what they were maybe going for. That the Essentials kit doesn't seem to go through the effort of holding the DM's hand as much, but it gives an easier on-ramp for the players. Um, The Essentials kit also assumes character creation, whereas the starter set uh, starts with pregens. Right. Which is a significant difference. Um, and I think an important difference for new players as well. I, I've introduced many a new player to the game through uh, the middle school uh, gaming club that I ran uh, for years, and... No matter how many times I tried to convince them, like, wouldn't it be fun to just get to the game real fast? Here's a bunch of pre-gens, they never wanted to play pre-gens. Interesting. Every middle school kid I ever worked with wanted to just dive in and make a character. Hmm. They didn't want to dive in and play the game. Hmm. <laughs> so character creation was very important for them as new players. And and in fairness, that's that's part of the fun of the game as well.
3: Yeah, and it's a good differentiator between this and the starter set. I mean that, you know, if you if you you know, if you're trying to sell one over the other, if you're trying to decide which one to buy, whether you want to make a character or start with the pregen is a really good way to d- differentiate the two.
2: Yeah, that's a good fork in the road.
0: Yeah.
3: So I think one interesting thing that, that I kind of noodled through after looking at them both pretty closely is that they actually work really well together. That when you combine the starter set and the essentials kit, they're both set in Phandelver or Phandolin, but they have totally different quest lines going on that you could run simultaneously. You could have the job board from the Essentials kit with all of the stuff going on there. And you could have all of the main quest line from, from Lost Mine of Fandelver going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the monsters, I think this was by design as well. If you look at the monster spread between the two books, they don't overlap very much. That there's, you know, the the two books combined have a lot of different variety of monsters. And you don't see a lot of monsters that I was surprised. Weren't in the Essentials Kit, and the reason why is because they are in the Starter Set. Things like bandits and goblins and some of the very basic monsters are not in the Essentials Kit, which I thought was pretty interesting.
0: So Fandolin has a lot of problems right now because every, all these variety of different monsters are all hitting at the same time. <laughs> yeah, oh, it seems yeah. to be a trouble. The town has trouble. a problem. <laughs> yes, yeah. The town, right. yes, <laughs> not the adventure. <laughs> I was like yeah. the, t- the town like got the most issues. popular adventure. Yeah.
2: Well maybe maybe they're setting it up. A- be like Arkham in the Cthulhu world where all the weirdness just hovers around it.
0: We don't know yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> well, it almost uh, that it, it brings up an interesting point. Like Because the starter set and the Essentials Kit opening adventures both take place in the same town, it kind of feels like that region of an MMO that is intended to be for new players, it's where the tutorial takes place, so this is the part of the realms that is the new player part of the realms and then once you're done adventuring here and you kill enough rats to level up you can then explore out go out and explore the rest of the world.
3: Yeah, it's interesting cuz most of the hardbacks all have a new starting world too. So, you know, it's it's interesting overall. Yeah,
0: most of them are starting at level 1, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, they all start at level 1. They all have like a little starting location with a bunch of little quests to go on to get
0: to fifth level. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Good. So One of the things I did notice about it, too, thinking about why it exists, is... And I haven't had a chance to go back and look at the uh, art from the original starter kit, but I remember when I got it, um, the... like. Gender ratios and other stuff weren't necessarily where the new edition promised, like thought it was mm-hmm. going. In this one, they had a lot more of that, and then particularly in the art and stuff, and, and you see it a lot in the sidekicks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it was a good way of, of where the game has grown over the past five yeah, years. Yeah, I was going to say,
3: so. it seems like that's something they've paid a lot more attention to. And, you know, I think now, did you feel the same way about the player's handbook, for example? Or do you think that that was pretty balanced?
1: I think the player's handbook was was pretty well Balanced, um, particularly for the time period, which I just remembered, I, I think I actually did an analysis of the character mentions in the starter kit.
3: Right. Yeah. And it's a bunch of white dudes.
1: Uh, I think I can't remember for sure. Uh, definitely a bunch of men. I it's hard. Right. It was hard at the time to know what, uh, like, coloration people had because we didn't know enough about the world yet. Right. Like, yeah. I wouldn't know that this particular area was has darker skin versus right. this other one. But right. I could, for the most part, from pronouns and other sources, figure out gender.
3: Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, and the starter, the, the old starter set box wasn't nearly as art-heavy as this one is. So there were lots of characters named, but not many pictured.
3: Right. That's interesting.
1: They also called out in the character creation part um, the fact like that... You know, gender doesn't mean anything. And you can also pick your sexual orientation, your character's sexual orientation.
3: Yeah. Which I I know is in the player's handbook um, as well. Right. Right. I think they have that same, that same section.
0: Yeah. I also find it interesting. um, And, and I think it has probably a lot to do with timing um, because the starter set came out right at the beginning of fifth edition or right towards, you know, the beginning of that, of that window um, and it was very clearly designed with the red box and the, and the cover art and whatever to be uh, nostalgic to players of D&D of yore, uh, right? There's this iconic sort of red box look that, that goes back through the ages of D&D that they were trying to evoke, um, whereas now there's a lot less inclination towards that right the the artwork the layout the the box design all of that is not trying to evoke that sense of nostalgia as much and in the intervening years we've had a massive boom in popularity for the game Uh, and so I wonder if the idea of trying to to be nostalgic became a lot less necessary now uh, or they were less interested in that now
3: I'll throw a I'll throw a statistic in there that I think is rather interesting which is the amount of people that are talking about D&D on Twitter now has doubled twice in the last 5 years mm-hmm. and the way that they discuss that Wizards of the Coast discusses their sales of the player's handbook suggests that more people have bought the player's handbook for 5th than any of the other versions and it is so I think if you you know I, I tried to do a bunch of math on this but i think i am correct uh, based on what we know to say that more people are if you take all the people that are, that are playing dnd today more of them have only been playing in the last four years than all of the rest combined so they don't have the nostalgia right no absolutely you know, more,
0: more than mm. half of the population doesn't have right. the nostalgia,
3: it, which I, you know makes sense to me it makes sense that you wouldn't bother
0: and, and, I, and I think you see that in the design uh, of of the game to some degree as well right there was definitely early attempts in the game to tap into the sense of nostalgia to get the established players on board uh, to to bring them along and, and to to do all those things and now we have a, an essentials kit where that that doesn't necessarily care as much about doing that
1: although one thing I felt and I don't know this could have just been me having a mood when I got it was it felt a little like the look from 40 Hmm.
0: What, I mean I can see that.
1: Particularly like the use of the word essentials. hmm Um with the white and and some of the the way the page looked. And I don't know why I felt that way, but I did. It was very weird to me.
3: Interesting. Do you <laughs> feel that the rest of the design touched on that
0: i've had i've had the same the same impression
3: i mean certainly the format of the adventures and things like that didn't didn't go back to the 40 style there's no sort of combat spreads or
1: right like
3: that in fact right. the adventure yeah. design is really unique
1: yeah no and i didn't feel it necessarily went that way although and again this is why it was like totally could have just been a random occurrence i was thinking through the fact that most they did it alphabetically for the sandbox adventure the areas because we got the higher levels like third through fifth Mm -hmm. earlier the the parts of the adventure that were for those higher levels and i know when 5e came out a lot of people made the comparison that like if you want to feel like you did in fourth edition just start uh, Start later yeah (laughs) yeah it was just very and like i said i think it's probably total like chance that that happened but it is a reaction i had to it Mm -hmm.
2: Sure. Well, it's funny you said that. I There was one element of the Essentials Kit that made me think about 4th edition, too, which was I feel like it spams magic items more than almost anything else we've seen in 5e so far.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah, we've got ben, this. And Belver was pretty heavy with magic items too, though the original. Yeah, one. yeah,
2: somewhat, yeah, somewhat. But I just
3: I feel like compared to
2: fourth, where you turn around and trip over a rock, but that rock is a magic rock.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> compared to fifth, where and, it's yeah, somewhat you hit, more. Smart. Hit twelfth level. It's time for your plus four upgrade. Right. And
1: I know that they've done cards a fair bit in fifth edition, but 4e had a lot of those cards yeah, right. too for helping you remember things.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Although I thought it was a neat add-on, the, the, the little box, like there's a little fold-out box that you that they gave you. They're like, hey, if we're going to give people a bunch of cards, let's give them a little something to put it in so they don't, you know, instead of, you know, back in my day when we used to have to wrap those cards in a rubber band, which would eventually turn brittle and melt all right. over your stuff and make a mess, right? Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they, 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 the the overall quality of the product is very impressive. I was really blown away by what we were getting for was it, was the MSRP twenty five dollars? Am I remembering that right? I think so. Versus the starter set was twenty, and 20,
3: yeah, twenty twenty five dollars. Yeah, yeah. The quality yeah, of the product
2: is super. super comes a
3: lot of stuff. Yeah, twenty five bucks yeah. is a pretty good pretty good deal. Yeah,
1: all they would have had to do is add the little round tokens, and then we would have uh, really had fourth edition go in there.
2: Yes
0: right right so um, we've jumped around a little bit so but we're talking about all the stuff that got packed into the box so let's talk briefly about what's what's here now you say that there's a lot packed in and it's really high quality and I generally agree particularly for the price point right Uh, there are little cards that are put in the box uh, and I would point to this and like the DM screen which I have back here in my background as sort of the essential sort of explanation of where i think the quality is right it's glossy it looks good it's functional it plays well it's a little like the the cards you can kind of see from the edge if uh, people can see on the stream are like punched out like you have to to tear them off and off of a sheet or whatever uh, and so for a company that makes cards for a living right this is what they do um, they're not the best quality cards but in a product where I'm paying twenty five bucks, and I'm getting the cards with all of the conditions, I'm getting an initiative tracker cards. I'm getting a massive stack of magic items because everything is a magic item in Fandolin. Uh, you're getting quest cards, which is a great idea. I'm using the same idea in my Dragon Heist game right now. Um, there are little cards to summarize sort of the steps of combat. There is one magic charm card that comes up uh, in the adventure, and then there are uh, cards for different sidekicks that you could uh, have in your game as well. And so you end up with a pretty hefty stack of cards. On top of, and uh, and then the little fold-out box to put them in, on top of the set of dice that Lewis was showing off earlier, um, you also get a, a nice glossy map of the region. Um, here's the Sword Coast here, and there's Fandolin on the other side. Um, there's, you know, high quality blank character sheets. There is the adventure. There is the Essentials Kit rulebook, and then there is the DM screen that um, I checked because it felt smaller to me than the the official DM screen. It's the exact same height and shorter uh, in in. Hmm. Length by a couple of inches, uh, but I think it has pretty much all the same information in there uh, on the inside, and, and so it's cardstock. It's not you know the the cardboard style board game thickness um, DM screen that you get if you just buy the DM screen, right? Um, but it's a like all in all, it is it is a an entire complete game in a box. Like you could pick this up and play D and D for quite some time. Uh, and what's more, there are additional follow-up adventures from the Essentials Kit adventure available on D&D Beyond. Uh, and the box comes with this sheet of paper that's normally just an advertisement. But on the back are codes uh, where you can go and um, get a, a digital version of the adventure and the follow-up adventures right there on on uh D beyond as well so you can continue playing uh and so you could play for some time um beyond ju- even just what's in the box with those additional uh adventures and what have you uh so yeah they take it like 14th level don't they i didn't honestly i did not look at the follow-up adventures in much detail because we're just reviewing the box tonight yeah but yeah they go on for quite i mean
3: some it's kind of interesting that like Twenty-five dollars. I think you get basically the equivalent of go of one of the hardback adventures, oh, as far as level range. Plus
0: the rules that you need to run it and maps and I mean you and all you, the you've rules. You've got yeah. everything you need for twenty-five dollars to run your first campaign of D and D. Pretty much start right. to finish, and that's really a really fantastic value. Um, so I'm in, I'm impressed with you know as much like I said the quality of the stuff isn't as good as some of the stuff that they could have done, but for $25 and all of those cards and, you know, and all that, like it's really, um, a really useful set.
3: Yeah. It's a great, it's a great kit. Can you speak a little bit more
2: to, uh, the content not like spoiler wise but the content of the extra stuff that's on D&D Beyond I'm probably the only one in our conversation who isn't a DD and d Beyond user yeah. so I don't I don't have it
3: I I can talk to it a little bit so there's so there's three separate adventures that were designed by Sean Merwin, James Intercastle, and Will Doyle and uh, they were I believe commissioned by Wizards of the Coast but for D&D Beyond specifically mm-hmm. so there was some kind of you know, arrangement that that worked out between D and D Beyond and um, and Wizards of the Coast to make these, and they are in the same style and format. Uh, I think so. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't run them, and I haven't dug in detail into how they play out. But I think they still have that uh, same sort of quest-driven narrative. You know, here are a couple things to do, and and here's where you can go. So they don't, they 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 hang on to the same style. Uh, that the that that uh, Dragon of Ice spire Peak uh, holds on to, and they have full art and maps and everything else. So yeah, so they they they're they're really nice. And yeah, when you when you plug in the code from the Essentials Kit, you get access to all three of them, which take you up to thirteenth level. And they include sidekicks that go up to that level as well. Nice.
0: Uh, Al- Alpha Alpha nice. Stream wants Let's... to know if the Essentials Kit has rats in the cellar. No, <laughs> they. You know, the problem is you don't want to give
3: people too much excitement too early. Like, you, right. you, need, to, you need to hold back some of the real drive that makes D&D D&D uh, in order to, to bring them back later. So, so, yeah, I don't... You know, they do have oozes in a cellar, though. Mm. They yes. do, actually. They have were-rats
0: in a cave. It's mm. pretty close. I think what they really needed was flumps. That's
1: what you, I thought, you, too. really... I don't. Think
0: so. <laughs> I think it's a good that's pretty iconic D and D. That's awesome. Come on, yeah. So, so let's dive in a little bit more specifically with the adventure because that's the other area where we had kind of started to uh, to started to talk about things already. And, and I think one of the key things that, uh, one of the other key things that makes this different than the starter set, um, you know, the starter set. It's it's not exactly linear, but it's much more linear. Uh, it's much more sort of on the rails as an adventure. You know, it gives you a decent little setting and some things that you can go around and explore. But but at the end of the day, there's there's certain touchstones that you go through, right? Um, the essential. I'm sorry, that's for, for for Lost Mine of Phandelver. Yes. Yeah,
3: I'd say there, there's yeah, I don't know. There's there's like a whole chapter in the middle where you have a million quests that you can go off and do. That's true. I think it's the second. I think it's chapter two. Yeah, there's yeah. one chapter that's
2: like that that's sandboxy, but everything yeah. else is pretty much on rails. That's fair. Yeah, right. it's
3: Where, like two big dungeons.
2: Right?
0: Whereas this adventure, yeah. though, is a much more... Um, Open and, and full of options, right? For, it's basically for each level of the characters you're given. Here's a handful of quests you can deal with. Oh, yeah, and by the way, there's this overarching problem of a dragon running around bothering people right now. But here's a bunch of quests you can do, and there's basically like, what is it, like three quest options per level? and then the
3: yes and you do two of them and then the other one disappears yeah
0: right you do two of them and then you level up and whether it disappears or not right that's how your dm handles it but well the in the, in the book they say that they say to remove it yeah but you don't you don't get exp, you don't get experience right yeah, you don't get experience for doing it anymore, so why bother, right? And it's all, like, it's a little bit contrived, right? It's it's all coming from, like, there's a notice board in town, and it has three quests at a time, and you, you pick up, you know, one at a time, and as soon as you do two, you level up, and then there's three new ones, and you just sort of keep doing this until eventually you're high enough level to go deal with the dragon situation. Um, so it's a little contrived, but it also seems like it gives an opportunity to, to play a lot of different types of th- things yeah um
1: yeah and i think they try to make a mix of um locations that are more dungeony and then other ones that might be more of a role play experience too
3: yeah I, i mean i think that the pillars and the locations are pretty separate so you can for example there's a whole big dungeon area where you can go negotiate with were rats and that can easily be a role play encounter uh, same with same with the gnomes. The Nom Nomengard is a pretty big spawning place, but almost everything you're going to do there is talk to people.
2: Yeah, and uh, I would say though, like when I first glanced through the book, the way it struck me was much more like very, very, very old school D anD D, where there's a just kind of a bunch of isolated stuff going on and. Here's tonight's thing that we're doing, and the next week, here's this completely other thing that we're doing. But as I read it more carefully, I started to recognize some plot threads that are running through it. And I landed on that there are basically three plot lines running through, not through every single piece of the story, but each of the story, each piece touches on at least one of the plot lines. And uh, I thought that was actually kind of clever and nuanced, and I think an experienced DM could kind of draw that out and do some good what, stuff with that.
3: What were the three?
2: So the, here's the way I here's the way it struck me. So and again, I'm I, I'm not the best dungeon master in the conversation, as far as I know, but uh, I've been around since the '80s, so I've got that going for me. I'm at least old, if not good. <laughs> but uh, so um, the the principal idea I thought was really cool, which is. A white dragon has moved into the area and has upset the ecosystem of the area. And everything kind of chains off of that because the place where he goes displaces a bunch of orcs and a manticore. And then those orcs have to go someplace else, and when they do that, they just place some other people, like the wear rats, and uh, they just all start. It's a, it's a really neat avalanche of causality in, mm-hmm. in that way, and
1: yeah. uh, it even uh, disrupts cheese making.
3: Yep, it screws indeed. up the cheese business. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, and that's <laughs> and like butter, apocalyptic right the Butter, yeah, the butter <laughs> business.
1: Butter, that's, that's right. right.
2: So, yeah. so the three plot lines I saw is the the main. Um, Cryovane kind of overarching umbrella plot where some, he's the reason you're going to some places to warn people or to look for items that are going to help you and things like that. And then there's the displaced orcs who are from where he is now nested. That are running around doing stuff, and they are loosely connected. Uh, the story doesn't do much with it; it touches on it at the very beginning. But with the other group of orcs who are the Talos
3: worshippers, yeah, the half orc, the half orc yes. druids, yeah, yes,
2: yeah, and uh, so them and their minions are interacting with those other orcs. At least it says at the beginning of the story, although the individual chapters don't necessarily give that to you. So there's kind of the Talos storyline, the displaced orc storyline, and then the overarching. Cryo and White Dragon storyline right. going on.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, and it's a really interesting sort of, like a lot of times, it, it's an interesting way of thinking about adventure design, I guess, is that there's really one thing that happens and then that leads to all of these repercussions that leads to the rest of the quest and the rest of the adventures in a way that we oftentimes don't think about you know, when we're, we're designing D&D adventures or we're, we're running D&D adventures um, and I don't know that I want to do that all the time because like, there's other crazy things going on and I don't want to just deal with this one, this one dragon showed up and it messed up the ecosystem all the time, but it's an interesting change of pace to, to go and have that conversation um, and, and deal with all of that at some point, so uh, I, I appreciate the, those efforts
2: yeah, I think it's a more unique way. Like I haven't seen a story quite like this in Five E, and I think that's cool.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, the design, the adventure design itself is something that really caught my eye. Where they, it is probably the uses the fewest words I've ever seen wizards produce for an adventure. They have, they have uh, entire adventures that are two pages, mm-hmm. and the biggest ones are four pages right the, the longest adventures in here are four pages they've they they mm-hmm. clearly right. designed it with you know with with using as few words as possible to get the adventures across which is really interesting when you think about the fact that it's a uh newbie friendly package that what they what they seem to be heading towards is fewer words are better for new DMS and you would think it would be the opposite. You would think DMS would need more explanation of things and advanced DMS, you know, could go with very little. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that they went the other direction It makes me wonder whether or not they're overriding adventures
0: outside of these. Mm-hmm. I think you could say they are. Um, and there's a segment of the people that want that. Right. Um, but certainly I think there are areas where they could give less and it would work out. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we've got it, in our universe, we have things going on like some, Mike, some of your ideas with fantastic locations and things like that. Here's just, here's the thing, here's what it is, throw your players in it and go. <laughs> kind right. of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also, I play a lot of Savage Worlds. And uh, Savage Worlds has this whole thing in their ecosphere of, they call them one sheets. Yeah. Where it's just two sides of one sheet of paper, and that's a whole session's worth of stuff. Yeah. It's just well developed plot seeds, but just still seeds.
0: Yeah, I, I think Rob, those
3: are super
2: helpful. Yeah, Sh-
0: Shadow of the Demon Lord does really short, lo- low word count.
3: Yeah, I was going to say Robert Schwab has started doing that too. He's done these now two page adventures that he sells.
0: Now, Mike, I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about how the game runs, the adventure runs. Um, because I think of the four sure. of us who, sure. who've you who know, done a fairly deep read of the book, you're the one who's actually run through the adventure uh, with with good friend of the show, Enrique Bertrand, the newbie DM. I think the two of you went through and, and ran it. And later on, we'll talk about the sidekick and the one-on-one play as well, because I know that's another thing that you tested out with him. So go ahead. T- tell us about how the adventure runs. Yeah, I've
3: also had an opportunity to run it for larger groups too. So I've, I've run the first few quests now a couple of times and um yeah so i think my the, the first thing which you know if i'm going to offer one piece of advice when running this because i think I, I i i think it is a i think it's a nearly perfect dnd product except for me for one big thing which it is really mean to first level characters and if you look at the first three quests, this is going to be full of spoilers, by the way. Uh, if you look at the first three quests, all of them put the characters up against really powerful foes for first level. And first level characters, more than any other level in the game, are super, super delicate. Squishy. Yeah, yeah. they're very squishy. And in, in one of them, probably the, the more popular of the, of the three quests, you f- uh, go up against an ochre jelly. And ochre jellies do 12 points of damage a hit which is pretty much all of the hit points any first-level character is going to have in one shot. Uh, Ochre jellies also, uh, when you hit them with a slashing Mm -hmm. weapon, divide into two, and now they're each doing 12 points of damage. And when I was running it for Enrique, Enrique is playing a character named Barundar, and Barundar is an axe wielder, right? And he's the only character. He's the only melee character. And all he has is a slashing weapon. So he's totally hosed, right? (laughs) right? Like... You know, it's not like, I don't, you know, maybe there'd be some convoluted way he'd be able to figure this out, but more than likely he's just going to get killed. So, you know, I, I, I changed it on the fly and I got rid of the split and I lowered its damage and then it was a lot more like a gray ooze. So, and you know, my, 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 I, I know that if I run this again, I'm just replacing ochre jellies with gray oozes because they're basically the same monster. Only one is far more, you know, appropriate for first level characters. The other one isn't. Uh, one of the other encounters is the Manticore. And the Manticore encounter can definitely be a role-play encounter, and in which case it kind of doesn't matter. But if the Manticore is is at full power, it's going to just destroy first-level characters. And uh, a way to deal with that is have it wounded by the dragon. You know, reduce its hit points to half, have it, you know, maybe it already used all of its tail spikes, and it's really just there to get healing potions from the lady so that it can heal up. And that steers it much more towards a role-play encounter instead of combat. But if it did turn into combat. A half-health Manticore with no tail spikes is more doable by a group than a full-power Manticore that's right. just going to fly around and kill them, you know? Right. Um,
2: Mike, can I ask you a question about yeah. that right there? Yeah. So did you run the, the, the ones you ran? Did you do the whole, all three of these quests are available on the yeah. mission board, players you pick what you want to do thing? Yeah. I because I, cool. I was wondering about that because that third level one, that's a sucker bet right there. Cause that, that's, it says in the book, it's supposed to be third level. No, and I that's think, a manticore. Um,
3: yeah. So uh, yeah, I can't remember, yeah. but yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's a manticore
2: is like a challenge level three thing or challenge yeah. writing thing. Three. Well, and
3: the Oak Jellies are pretty yeah. hard too. Yeah. Uh, they're teams, the, think. Is, yeah the, the third one is against the mimic. Right? right. And it can be a really cool adventure because I, I really wanted to run it like the thing, you know, that, you know, you don't know exactly what is in this gnomish thing. That's killing gnomes you know it could be anything and you think like is it a doppelganger is one of the gnomes a murderer is something right. else and then it turns out <laughs> no it's that chair you know so you know it can, be, it can be really cool but um but again a mimic at level one is going to be really really hard and they have some kind of conflict. you can role play with the mimic. they
0: really do like mimic mimics as chairs right now oh i, I just said that. i don't even know is it a, is it a chair i don't Here's think a it's,
2: barrel. it's yeah. a
0: barrel yeah. yeah yeah
2: in a room full. of oh just
0: being it's
3: funny.
2: a barrel
0: okay because I know there's a in 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 uh, Dragon Heist there's a mimic that's a chair, uh, and in um, the upcoming expansion to Dungeon Mayhem there you can one of the characters you can play is a mimic who's a chair. <laughs> so I
3: would I would keep that one because you can beat the mimic and the mimic isn't I, if I recall it it isn't the end of the world fighting at level one but it's still pretty hard. So you you, you know I know as a DM and I just. Uh, what bothers me about it is I think about new groups playing this and that their first experience is going to be getting killed by an ochre jelly because right, nobody right. knew any better. Right. And then, like, you've now just eliminated an entire generation of players. Right,
2: right.
1: I also yes. noticed that a little yeah. bit um, with... I forget which one it is, but um, you're basically in a dungeon area and there's a bunch of stuff in the text about if they have a pole, the 10-foot pole thing, this can yeah. Do this.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Um, And I'm not saying it's bad. I just thought of it in terms of somebody who is new to D&D who maybe didn't know that trope might have a harder time with that section.
3: Yeah, I think it's the – I can't remember. There's one where there's a collapsing – you know, there's a a, a section. It's in Guard. Is that that Guard?
2: They offer you a collapsible pole thing. Oh, right. But it's not an alphabetical order. Well, it is an alphabetical order, so it's not in level order. So the players have a good chance right. of literally having a 10-foot pole. But, tr- but yeah, Tracy's right. That's a, a funny – like, I thought that was funny as heck. But, I, you know, I knew most of these, these new players would have no idea what that's about.
3: Yeah, there's a – I'm trying to – oh, Axe So So uh, I think it's Axe which is uh, later on has a section where if all of the characters climb through a tunnel – the tunnel can collapse and the only people that can get you out are people that are outside the tunnel. And <laughs> it's like, if you're all in the tunnel, that's a TPK immediately. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it was a little harsh mm-hmm. and it didn't need to be like, there's no reason you couldn't say like, you had to dig your way out and you take two levels of exhaustion. Right. They, 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 the way it's written right. is like a TPK. So I think, I think it was a little hard. I think they designed it to be a little hard on, on characters and maybe they feel like that's an important, consideration when you're playing DD that you know lethality is a big piece of the game but i'm a softer dm than that and i want people to have fun so
0: yeah yeah i am too so okay so how about the rest of the adventure then
3: it's so it's Uh, great i mean like so i ran like you said i ran enrique through it and i really enjoyed it like it was it was the quest system was really fun uh the the adventures are lightweight and very easy to prep which of course i love and um yeah i think i think you know I, the, 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 my, the, what i would consider to be relatively minor quibbles as long as you handle them uh i i think it's a it's a really interesting design i think the 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 fact that they kept them as brief as they did is is a really fascinating design that i really want to spend more time understanding when i write my own stuff like this um yeah so it that's yeah it's really good
0: well and i find like in an adventure like this the the conceit becomes fairly repetitive pretty quick oh we gained a level there's three new quests we gained a level there's three new quests right um but it 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 can it's consumable a lot more for me when they're so short and brief and to the point and you are not know, you know if you're dragging out those quests um uh, and taking a long time with them then that might be a different conversation but because you kind of fly through it pretty quick and the story's always moving um I, I'm thinking the repetitiveness is a little bit less. Uh, it's hitting you over the head a little bit. less. Yeah, and they're not all like that either.
3: Um, so there's a couple of locations that you only reach if you talk to NPCs in other places. Mm-hmm. So like the Dragon Barrow, I can't remember. Maybe Dragon Barrow is one that is a, a quest. But there's a couple of places that you only find out about and you only visit if you interact with other NPCs. <laughs> yeah. So there there are some other decision forks that happen that aren't just the three quests on the board.
2: Yeah, the Dragon Barrel one uh, feeds uh, the Circle of Thunder one, that's which right. is never yeah. going to be a message board one. And right. there's two different other quests that can feed you. And I like that too. Besides all the message board quests, there were one, two, three, four, five total locations that are written up well, but aren't on that message yeah, board. Yeah, like the Tower of Storms. You get to them.
3: yes, that's right. right. Tower of Storms is one that you only. That's one I didn't run because it just never came out.
2: Yeah. So how many? Uh, how many? Did you say you ran your group through all of the, the adventure, Mike? Or some so I,
3: I, so I, I ran, yeah. So so for my with my one-on-one game with Enrique, we went through the whole adventure. That doesn't mean we hit every quest, obviously. Mm-hmm, sure. And then there were a couple of quests that I ran right. for another group where I tried to, like, I have run all first of the three. I ran Gnome and Guard and I ran, you know, the other two. Um, but yeah, I think there's probably a couple locations. So I know I didn't run uh, the Tower, the Tower of Storms. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I ran, um, uh, which one here, I guess it was Axelm. I don't think I ran Axholm, but I've run was, everything else in here.
2: I, I was wondering it. approximately how many sessions we think are, are so in I, this box.
3: I did it in nine and it was nine sessions that were about an hour to an hour and a half each. So wow. they were they were short. Now that was oh. one-on-one. And, and when you're, when you're running them one-on-one, you can get through a lot more, I discovered. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, sure. I, you know, if I had to guess with a group, I would say you could probably get through a couple quests every, it was probably about two hours a quest. So, you know, okay. whatever the math is for that up to six. Yeah, six, I was, six, I yeah. was wondering if it was a
2: it's the rate because my sessions are typically hours. four ish hours or so. Right. So I was wondering if two quests per session felt like the right.
3: It, it can, but I think the way I would run it is to, is sort of let them sort of play out organically. And then, you know, you can end in the middle of one and then start up in the, you know, and, then, and I did that with Enrique. Like, we would end in the middle of a quest just because it was a good point and then mm-hmm. start up at that, within that same quest in the next session. Um, so I would probably right. guess 12-ish hours.
0: So that sounds um, fairly doable. And, and, again, like you're moving through the paces fairly quick in terms of leveling up and, and progressing the story. If you're doing the entire thing in 12 hours, that's a that's a pretty – Breakneck speed um, in terms of of that kind of stuff. So, uh, one of the things you mentioned, and I think it's worth discussing a bit before we run out of time, um, the the essentials kit and the adventure and everything is also designed in such a way that it encourages or it it discusses ways to adapt for one on one play, incorporating these sidekicks, and, and it actually introduces a new sidekick mechanic that doesn't exist uh, elsewhere in D&D in order to help facilitate some of that. And um, so I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Uh, I know the the sidekick mechanic um, was got a lot of attention and, and you know the idea is you can now you now you've got stats right you can bring in your minions and they're not going to over you know it's not just you're playing two pcs right uh the sidekicks are a little bit different than that and they come in three is it three varieties there's the
3: there's a healer a wi- no so four there's 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 two different kinds of mages or two different kinds of spellcasters. A, a a healer and a wizard style
0: right there's the caster the is it is it no, well so I think they, they stat it as just the mage or the caster or whatever, and you could you could do it as a healer or not. And then there's the one the warrior type that is is, you know, the fighter. Yeah. And, and then the expert who's the rogue. And they're basically it you know what it reminded me of? Um because they're basically like weaker classes, right? You're and they level up and they, yep. and they get better at what they do and whatever. It reminded me a lot of the NPC classes from Third Edition. Is, people remember those, where where the idea was every every NPC, every whatever anywhere in the world in your setting has a class in Third Edition, um, and you could stat them out using these not very powerful um, classes. Basically, uh, you know you could be an expert in a warrior, and a lot. I think I feel like these were largely lifted from that concept and they function fairly similarly. Um, did, did you find that it worked pretty well in terms of giving uh, Enrique some extra help without overshadowing him or what do you think?
3: So Enrique and I both agreed that we were completely surprised by how awesome one-on-one play okay. was in general. And the, the side, the ability of the sidekick to fill in that role so the, I think so there's two parts and one part is the mechanics mm-hmm. of the sidekick, which I think is kind of what you're talking about. But but there's also like how the sidekick fits into the story, which actually I found far more mm. eye opening than the mechanics themselves, because I I think there's no reason that like if you didn't want to use the sidekicks here that you could roll up one of the basic characters and, and make that a sidekick. The only reason that they're designed the way they are to be slightly weaker is that, A, they're not going to take a lot of extra time at the table to run, and B, you don't want your sidekick to overshadow your main character. So, But, but there'd be a, n- a bunch of different ways that you could do that without having to, d- to buy this box. One is I think they actually have an uh, Unearthed Arcana that lets you kind of make sidekick characters. Uh, but you could also just make a basic character and say, like, no feats, no multi-classing, and one of the four... You know, one of the four core classes and go with that. And it's going to end up being weaker than your more custom right. your more custom class. What both of us found, so we made sort of a rule early on, and I don't think it's really described in here, that the the sidekick would be under the control of the player, but would be role played okay. by the DM. And that was a huge deal in our game and it ended up being what I think was the most fun part of that game was the interaction between Berendar and Bing. Bing was his sidekick, his healer sidekick, a halfling kind of a tricky halfling healer right? And Berendar is the big burly dwarven fighter and the interaction between those two characters was just delightful for both Enrique and I. We really so much enjoyed that interaction. It was just hysterical to watch them grow and I think that the, that, that sort of you know, buddy, buddy system uh, of, of role playing is something you don't get in a group where you have five people because there's so many characters, and the interaction of those characters are, are going to overshadow the interaction of any other character. But when you can focus on just two and their relationship, you know, it's really fascinating. And both Enrique and I were like, you know, we're we're big old school d d people. We've been playing forever. He calls himself Newbie DM, but he hasn't been new in 30 years.
0: Right. He hasn't been a newbie in a long time. You know, both of us are like, is this going to be
3: weird? Right, like this, you know. But we're both like, well, we want to try it, and so. But we were going in with like, what's this going to be like, and is it going to be a lame version of D and D? And what we found is it sacrifices nothing for D and D. It is just as much a fun D and D game to play one on one as it would be to play with a group, and it plays differently than it does with a group because of things like a. It's much faster. You know, you can get through a lot of material a lot quicker because you have you have you know there's just fewer things going on and fewer interactions overall. You're going to have fewer combat combatants that you're fighting um you know so that that works really well and then also you have this just wonderful growth of the relationship between two characters that you know it's just delightful it's just so much fun to 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 play it that way
0: i think you can do that story in a group but you have to rely on the players to do it with each other and then the dm doesn't get to have the fun of playing that that relationship
3: But it's still a spotlight problem, right? You're still going to shine, still move a spotlight around between the relationships. So, yeah, you could have two characters that have a relationship, you know, and I've had many games, obviously, where they do. Right. But that's still one relationship out of, you know, what, 10 potential relationships that occur that could occur between five characters. Right. So and you're, you're, you're constantly shifting. It's like the eye of Sauron, right? You're mm-hmm. constantly shifting it around to look at these different relationships. Where in this one, it is only focused on these two and their relationship. And that's what's going on
0: you got to do a buddy comedy it was awesome yeah
3: and it was like you know campfire scenes mattered right like they're sitting around taking a rest and like they'd have this banter back and forth during the rest it was just great it was such an awesome time so yeah i think that that is a you know it's a wonderful feature i think it is probably the best feature of the essentials kit is that it brings that style of play uh and makes it available and when you think about how hard it is to get six people together to play D right? That, that's hard for everybody. It's the hardest part of d and is getting a group together regularly, by far, harder than any other problem in D&D. And this one makes that problem less by saying, now all you need is one other person, you know, one or mm-hmm. two. Like, we, we played it with three of us, my wife and two friends of ours, and we played a three-person game, and it was great, you know? So ex- changing the number of players that's required to play and lowering it is a, is a wonderful, Uh, uh, you know, wonderful way to bring D&D into more people's lives. So I think that's a really, you know, really powerful feature of this whole of this whole box.
2: Yeah. Would you would we would we say that's the most innovative and new thing this this product is bringing to the table out of everything?
3: Yeah, I, I would say so. And then I would also say, of course, I'm sure people have been doing this for a long time. Right. Like, you know, I'm, I'm I know that people have been playing D&D one on one since D&D has been around. Yeah. So it's nice that it has that feature. And the other thing it does is it kind of shows you like, well, how do you scale combat? You know, what are the things you need to worry about? I really put my eye on like, you know, how do you run combat if you only have one one player and one sidekick? And right. the answer is like two two players are actually pretty robust. You know, if you, they can they can help. I mean, it's like real life. You know, when you have a partner in something, it's you're, you're way better off than if you're by yourself. And, um, the, the, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it it teaches how to scale it. But at the same time, I think what it, what it did is open the door to that style of play. It kind of said like, this is, this is acceptable. And now I, I, in my mind, I'm like, man, how cool would it be to run all of tyranny of dragons with two people with one DM and one player. And the one player has to face Tiamat. You know, like how awesome that's <laughs> right. What if Curse of Strahd? Like, imagine playing Curse of Strahd, and and one person is playing Irina, and the whole campaign is about Irina and maybe her brother, right? Dealing with Strahd, and it's a totally different game at that point, you know. And it could be really cool. So I'd love, I'd love to see more stuff like that. And yeah, what what surprised me is just like I thought that that would be second you know, second best to playing D&D, how it's meant to be played with four, four to six people. And the answer is it's just as much fun with one person as it is before.
0: Now that you've done that with Enrique, I expect that you're going to pick up a new player and keep doing this as a series and, and do Curse of Strahd with one player and then do <laughs> you know, Descent into Avernus with one player and just do that over and over and over again forever because that could be a great series of streams. That
3: would be awesome if I had an extra day in my week.
2: Yeah, man. <laughs> like, make a whole new thing about it. Call it call it Solo Flourish and make it happen. <laughs> Solo Flourish. Mm, oh.
0: The, the, the whole time you're talking about it, I'm like, w- w- I totally want to do this with Mike. And, and then I'm like, yeah, but like what day of the week do we do it? You know? So.
3: <laughs> it would be awesome. Yeah, right. And that was the thing. Like Enrique and I found a spot in our schedules, and it was Friday mornings. So we used to laugh about the fact that 9 a.m. Friday morning, we're there with our coffees playing D&D. You know, and then what I found what I found and I I I love that series to death, but I also wanted to put it up on YouTube and edit it down, and that ended up taking like most of the day. So, you know, I I it it ended up taking a lot of time to do that, to do it so that we could put it up online and, and make it really good. And I would love to keep doing it. And I just the problem is I got other projects that I've got to focus my attention on and I got two other D&D games. But hopefully we'll get back to it. I'm certainly not eliminating doing that. And I would love, you know, those characters are so great. And I would love to go back and see Baron darren being again. Like it's so much fun.
0: Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll do it with my, with my eight year old. He, and it'll just be yeah. dad, and, you know, father, son time. We can just hang out and play.
3: I cannot recommend enough that, that people give it a shot. You know, go talk to your significant other, go, go find a friend and say, Hey, let's just, let's just do this and try it. And I tell you, there's going to be this like five minute period where you're going to feel weird about it. And then you'll get over it. And you'll be into the characters, and you'll be off to the races.
0: Could be having fun. Good. <laughs> well, that sounds like sounds like uh, you can't recommend those those ideas any, uh, any more highly. The the one on one and the sidekick uh, mechanics uh, played out really well for you, so that's good. I'm curious about using the sidekick mechanics otherwise. Um, you know, I've got a situation in um, my Dragon Heist game where the paladin character has recently. Uh, they, they did the interviews with people to bring in to, as their staff for Trollskull Manor. Uh, and they decided, well, we don't really want to hire this one kid uh, to work in Troll Skull Manor. But the paladin's like, but I'm going to take him on as like an apprentice. I feel bad for the kid, right? Uh, and now I'm like, oh, now I, I kind of want to you know work him up as a first level warrior or sidekick. Uh, and have him be able to sort of follow along in that way and see how that goes uh, within a larger party. So... I'll have to test that out a little bit. We can talk about it more on Behind the DM screen. Yeah,
3: I think, I think that's a great idea. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Uh, last thoughts from anybody. We are over our hour of recording time, but I, I think we've hit everything I wanted to make sure we hit. Uh, so any last thoughts that people have they want to share about, um, about the Essentials Kit?
2: This is going to sound strange, but I was really excited about the DICE. That came with this set, not because they're especially high quality dice, they're your pretty standard stuff, but because of the selection and number of dice. I mean, for the first time in fifth edition, and this is what they should have always done two d20s, two d20s, you know. And in their character creation, they've got 4d6 as the official way in the rule book to make characters, right? 4d6 right here. You know, as opposed to the last starter set, which had six of the seven polyhedrals, and that just about made my mind explode. I'm so OCD about incomplete sets. I about lost my mind because there wasn't a percentile die in that set, even though it doesn't
0: matter at all. They say percentile dies come up so seldom. But that's yeah. exactly how you would drive
2: me crazy. That's the script for it, you know, is, uh, is just put something out there that says one, two, three, four, five, seven. Just do that, and I will. <laughs> <laughs> so I, they actually included the proper number of dice, which they're also going to be doing finally with the. Uh, is it the Lyrical Silver Silverhand dice set? Yeah, that's coming out, and they did it with the
3: Everness dice last year too. Yes, yeah, and they, that's big, man, they had the full set. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's like, hey, wait a minute, we should actually make a product that matches up to the rules <laughs> we wrote about
0: how to do Got things. Yeah. Other last thoughts. <laughs>
1: uh fred had a lot of fun walking through with our our child how to create a character and uh he's only three and a half so take it all with a grain of salt but he like went through and said you know what explain the different uh classes and like what skills you might have and he picked it up uh so that was pretty awesome they had a lot of fun doing that one afternoon what did he make Uh, A halfling rogue, surprising no one.
0: (laughs) Because he is, in fact, a halfling rogue? Is that what you're saying? Uh,
1: Partially. (laughs) You know, my child is likely to be a halfling rogue. That's just reality. (laughs) Very good.
0: Excellent. So child approved. uh, Mike approved. Dice approved. Uh, It sounds like all around we're very pleased, especially for the $25 price tag. Um this seems like a really good way of getting people into D&D. It gives them character creation rules which um I've discovered is a essential part of getting people into D&D. Um people like making characters. Um much more than a pregen, right? Uh so so I think we I think we like this box, right?
3: I
2: love it. Right. Yeah. 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 It's fantastic
0: then I think we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode.
1: And we'd like to say thank you to all our listeners who support us by shopping at Amazon or DMskill through the links at thetomeshow.com or who have become patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. And we'd also like to thank our guests, Lewis Brenton. Uh, where can folks find you online?
2: Well, they can find me at Twitter at RevLewisBrenton. And they can also find me hanging out with you, Tracy, when we're doing uh, our Tome Show News, uh, which is a, a newer show on the Tome Show Network. And uh, so yeah. watch watch your streams. That'll be coming out very, very soon.
1: Awesome. And also, thank you to Make Shay. Where can folks find you?
3: Thank you. Uh, you can find my stuff at SlyFlourish.com or uh, I'm most active on Twitter at Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish.
0: Right on. And if you want to get a hold of The Tome Show, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Tracy is at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. And you can tweet the show. It is at The Tome Show.
1: And that's episode 334, where we went back to the beginning, explored some more minds of Fandelver, and got down to the essentials in this episode of... I'm off the walk.